Oh, the shame that will get. If you've let all the fans down. Can we not knock this? It's a fact. I love playing mind games. I'm talking about facts. I always said if I was Aladicci, I would probably say I was more of a tactical genius. Yeah, I answer questions on anything. Uh, religious, <laughs> politics, uh, health, you know, sexual uh, problems. Look at his face! Just look at his face! None of you except for those two have done anything to justify the money that you earn. None of you! Disgrace! And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Yes, you're very welcome along to Team 33. I'm Enda Call, and I'm joined on the line by Colin Buig, by Arthur O'D, and by Rory Carberry, who's making his Team 33 debut tonight. Because we're going to be talking about some Steve Bruce, um, some pretty sad quotes coming out from Steve Bruce during the week when he was speaking to Luke Edwards of The Telegraph. We're going to be talking about ne- uh, Gary Neville, his punditry and his lack of criticism of his quote-unquote mate. And we're going to be looking at the biggest sports stories of the week as well. Lads, how are we getting on? All good, Ender. Flying. How's it going? Rory, I have to start with it. You know, we could do the full show on Celtic because I know you're a big Celtic fan as well. Uh, big win during the week against Frank Varos on Tuesday night and an odd lunchtime kickoff in the Europa League on a Tuesday. I know the lads are just going to stay quiet here. I I haven't got to, you know, bounce my ideas off of Ange Postacoglu off anybody in, in this show so far. What are your thoughts on uh, what the big uh, Australian has been doing at Celtic Park this year? Um, obviously, you're going to go through teething problems with a new manager coming in and the, the scope of the problems that the club had throughout last season and going into the summer. It wasn't going to be a, a small undertaking for whoever came in, whether it was Eddie Howe, who was originally touted, or Ange Potsuhoglu. And I think that there's been growth in certain areas, like our attack and play has been very good. And you can see the difference between last season, where there's a lot of coordination and how we move off the ball and stuff. But obviously, there's been results. Livingston and Leverkusen, in particular, in the Europa League last uh, the last game he had at Celtic Park, and you know that's the first twenty minutes of that game. I couldn't, I honestly couldn't believe how open and end to end it was. Like we could have scored obviously a number of goals ourselves, but ended up getting punished by a, a very good, strong German team. So, <clears throat> in terms of last night, I thought um, the performance was very good. Now, to be fair, I don't think Bern Varos really were very ambitious in how they they approached the game. They didn't really come out of their shape too much. But in saying that, it's Celtic's prerogative when they're playing at home in Europe is to go and try and attack teams and break them down. And there's definitely there's definitely signs that that's becoming something of a key note as to how Ange wants to play. Um, mm. I think we are, like there was a lot of patience in terms of how we try and create chances and stuff. And obviously there's bright sparks in terms of different players that have come in and are, are doing very good jobs. Um, obviously Jota being one, Kyogo being another who's just, he seems to be at a different level to where you could see him, you know, doing it at, in the Champions League as well, if he, if he ever is put in that position. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a good good result and it's good to get three wins on the spin and obviously two clean sheets in a row is big because we're, we're struggling defensively, obviously, because we've had such a, a, a big a challenge to kind of come back from what was a disappointing season last, uh, last year. So, I'll so yeah. go last night. Yeah, look, it's um, it's got very strong similarities to what's happening at Ireland at the minute to a, a different level because obviously club football is different to international football, but that was a different Celtic performance to what Celtic fans are used to in Europe. Obviously, Celtic have very famous wins in Europe, but they've always been pretty much backs to the wall, you know, 
uh, getting a, a, a goal from a corner and then sitting back and soaking up pressure and everything like that there. This was a dominant Celtic performance. I think they finished the game with 67% possession. So that just shows you like that it was very much a Celtic taking it to Frank Farris. And they, I think they did similar to Real Betis as well in the first leg when they when they went away to them. Um, so hopefully they get through the group stages and we can bore the lads with even more Celtic talk over the next couple of weeks. But we'll, we'll park it there for now because there were some pretty extraordinary quotes from Steve Bruce who was sacked by Newcastle United uh, during the week there. And he's speaking to Luke Edwards of the Telegraph. Luke Edwards obviously have uh, has a good working relationship with Newcastle and always has. But it's a really quite sad interview with Steve Bruce who ultimately, you know, he might not have been up to the standard needed to bring Newcastle forward, but did quite a good job in the circumstances that it was given. And ultimately, it shows the human side of all of this because as much as the Newcastle fans didn't want him there, like Steve Bruce loves that club and he really did. Uh, I, I believe, I don't think anybody gets into football without trying their best. And I do think that he wanted the best for Newcastle United in the end and it just didn't work out for him. But Steve Bruce, anyway, he's speaking to uh, Luke Edwards. He said that, uh, I think that it might be my last job Steve Bruce obviously had uh, 1,000 games in charge there over the last couple of weeks. It has been very, very tough to never feel really wanted, to feel that people wanted me to fail and saying I would fail, that I was just a useless, a fat waste of space, a tactically inept cabbage head. So, Colin, I mean, the cabbage thing comes back once again uh, to Steve Bruce, but I mean that that's a pretty strong quote from Luke Edwards to have and... I mean, ultimately, it is pretty sad that Steve Bruce, who loves Newcastle at the end of the day, is being treated this way. It is it is quite sad in terms of uh, Steve Bruce and what's actually happened to him here. Yeah, I mean, how much money um, stops sympathy? Like, so he's getting £7 million in a job that uh, he ultimately didn't succeed in. But he seems really sad. So he's going to be like um, Christopher Walken in the first scene of, Weapon of your choice, the Fat Poison Limb video, where he's in his mansion, he's just looking down at nothing. And he's just a broken man after this experience. And I was at a quick search there before we came on. And I was like, who did he manage before Newcastle? And I completely forgot he was at Sheffield Wednesday for about five minutes. Remember that? The first yeah. half of 2019. And he started the job late because he got two operations after Aston Villa. And he seems to have gone through an awful lot in the last decade. Um there's that famous meme of him in the press conference where he very forlornly says hi at the start of it. And that was before all this started. And I feel like he really takes a lot of the criticism to heart, which you do as a human being, but it's really not ideal in the Premier League. And uh, I feel tremendously sorry for him. Like you said, Enda, he was only trying his best. Um, and it's really interesting to me that the owners gave him one game. So, I mean, I can't imagine there was any nostalgia to give him a thousand. I just think they were searching around and they hadn't got yet to the manager's. Uh, search and Bruce would have known managing this match that sure this is the end of me like you know but what, what kind of instructions am I going to give in this game so I feel like you know I was you know, there's an Arsene Wenger documentary coming out soon and I feel like the Steve Bruce documentary will actually be absolutely fascinating and especially during the Newcastle period because it goes to show that uh, no matter how much money you're making from this thing you can ultimately end up a, a pretty broken figure from it. And uh, mm. I sincerely hope that he recovers from this. And I'm sure he will in a year's time. He'll be looking back on this and even a different perspective. But that is ruthless, lads. That was brutal treatment from a guy who was honest. And okay, he might not have been up to the level of other managers, but 
it kind of, for me, has a wider discussion point about the ridiculous pressure that these managers are under now and how there's an obsession with the manager of a club, which I don't really think used to be there. There is an obsession with the person in charge. Mm. Yeah, 100%. The, the Newcastle game against Tottenham at the weekend was very interesting for a number of reasons, mainly because, you know, the new owners were there. Amanda Stevely was in the stands as well. There was this weird, like, celebrity element to it. And obviously it was interrupted by, you know, uh, an issue in the stands by the fans as well when uh, a fan took ill. But it, it was just so bizarre to watch the Newcastle players who most of whom won't be at the club in the next five, 10 years, try their best to win against a side that are better than them and ultimately come up short again. It, it, it was the ultimate like come back to earth to Newcastle that this is not going to be an overnight job. They, just because these guys are in here does not mean that it doesn't eradicate all the problems that have been at the club over the last 10 years. So it's going to be a long road for them. Uh, Arthur, curious to get your thoughts on what Colin was saying there about managers. I was thinking about this this morning and I'm wondering how much social media plays a role in this because is it a case where these opinions have always existed but nobody had the platform and now everybody has the platform? Or do you think it's been amplified and uh, just these opinions are getting even worse year on year? Um. I don't know. Like I suppose the, um, yeah, the infatuation with uh, the singular figure of the manager is certainly um, intensified. But like, it's interesting with the Bruce sort of situation. Like all that stuff that he's talking about. I imagine most of that came. Well, like that was pre takeover, obviously. Like a lot of his, uh, like I just I don't know. Like I, maybe I'm misremembering. Like, but it strikes me that even before the owner, this new ownership came in and everything like he was very much uh, a lame duck there really, wasn't he? I mean, that mm. never seemed like a thing. That almost seemed like a bit of a, just my Ashley kind of sticking it to the Newcastle fans a little bit. Just, I'm going to put him here. I know you don't want him. You've had, you've had your big Sam. You didn't like that. You won't like this, but I'm going to put him in here anyway. Like he was just, it seemed like from the get go on that whole thing, he was doomed to fail. Like there was nothing he could have done really. There's nothing, there's nothing in Steve Bruce's, back catalogue of work that would have suggested he would be able to do prior or after takeover what Newcastle fans would realistically have wanted him to do. No. And I think that's ultimately where we're at with Steve Bruce is that he he was achieving what he could achieve given the circumstances and what he was expected to achieve, achieve by the owner who, who hired him in the first place. If you look back at uh, Steve Bruce win ratio at Newcastle compared to predecessors, so Steve Bruce has a 29.2% win percentage uh, in his time at Newcastle. That's over the course of two and a bit seasons. Uh, Rafa Benitez, 42%, but you do have to take into account that he spent a year in the championship as well. Uh, Steve McLaren, 22%, so that's lower than Steve Bruce. John Carver, 15%. Uh, <laughs> I actually forgot about that short stint for John Carver. That was, uh, that was a, a short enough one after Alan Pardew, who had a 38% win percent, uh, percentage. And then Chris Hutton, 59.4% <laughs> uh, win percentage for Chris Hutton at Newcastle, which is absolutely extraordinary. But he also did spend uh, a year in the championship as well, so you have to take that into account. Uh, Rory, Steve Bruce, he, like... 
are you achieving more by hiring some hotshot manager who's going to bring in uh, an analytical side to to things sort of like uh, what Graham Potter's doing at Brighton? Um, or are you go- are you safer as a, a, pl- a businessman like Mike Ashley just to keep yourself in the Premier League and keep that money taken over? Well, obviously, I think that was always Mike Ashley's prerogative. And just to touch on Colm's uh, previous point, like the, the, the fact that they kept Bruce for the first week, I was just reading a, a brief kind of article in The Athletic there, and it, it was just, uh, it just felt kind of off, even him like on the, the touchline on the weekend. Obviously, it's not a new thing where Newcastle fans were getting on his back, but it just felt like, you know, for his 1,000 game, they just it just didn't feel right to to watch somebody getting lambasted like that. Um, but in saying that, like it didn't it doesn't seem like the new the new board that have come in have had any structured idea as to who they wanted as a, as a replacement. So like that's going to be the interesting thing for me is like as you mentioned like the likes of like somebody maybe a bit younger with a bit of a, a more of a progressive uh, approach to, towards the game now and um, that you're seeing around around Europe especially um like. Who who is going to be their candidate that they're going to put forward now? That's going to you know drastically change what Steve Bruce has done. Because if you actually look at it, they're second from bottom at the moment. Whoever comes in there for even if it's for a season has a hell of a job to keep them in the Premier League and like the, the new owners. For whatever you want to say about them, they don't want to see the the club that they've they've just invested in go down to the championship, which is a very very much a possibility. So I don't even know. To, to kind of come back to your question, whether there is somebody who's, you know, an, a, another candidate that can really stabilise the ship in the next six to eight months either way. So it's a difficult question to answer, I suppose. Yeah, it's it's a squad worthy of the championship. Let's let's be frank about it. That's It's, it's a championship level squad. So the, the question is, do you keep, like, do you keep a manager, bring, bring in big, big Sam again just to fight off relegation for one more year and then, build your build your uh, project from there but what i really want to see is big sam take the job full time and continue on for the next 5 6 years and see if he can prove what he's been claiming over the last uh, 10 15 years that he could do the same job as pep guardiola and klopp if he was given the uh, given the the same amount of money as them so i would i would personally love to see yeah. a manager like steve bruce a manager like sam allardyce take over a club that are the richest club by a mile in the world and see what they do. It'd be very Big interesting. Sam, like, there's a man, the total opposite spectrum, who doesn't care at all about what people think of him. Like, he will go back no. to any club ever. That doesn't matter. He's like, Big Sam's a football consultant. He's not even a manager. He just comes in and uh, troubleshoots the problem and he leaves then. And he's like, oh, whatever you want to do, I don't mind. Look, as long as I'm paid, I'm happy out. <laughs> With a wink to the chairman. You know, like, and, and he'll keep them up, probably. Even the West Brom relegation, he'll be like, oh, nothing to do with me, really. Um, great <laughs> shout, actually. I'd say, <laughs> I'd say he's uh, he's straight back in, yeah. Because, but at the same time, I was thinking the these new owners have so much money. I don't like if they're a year in the championship, they'd be like, fine, just bring him back up, just sign a few yeah, players, like, up and start again. I, I didn't fully appreciate the amount of money, yeah. that they actually do have until you. See it broken down in front of you. The Newcastle now have 14 times the wealth that the Man City ownership do. I mean, that yeah, that is an insane, a, like incomprehensible amount of money. So I, I genuinely, I think it would be the greatest entertainment in the world to let Sam Allardyce take that project for five years and see what he does 
with a 300 million budget, see what players he brings in, see what he does with those players and just let him at it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Five years is too long for Big Sam. Like he'll lose, he'll lose interest. He'll just, he'll want to know who else is being taken over. He'll go to them mm. or, or actually they'll be doing too well. And he'll be like, no, I need to save someone. <laughs> he's yeah. no interest in sticking around. Like, you know, no, he's getting to the stage of his managerial career. He's not even learning the players' names. He's just telling them to go into position. <laughs> and he's gone. Totally disassociated. And like Big Sam, it's the type of guy who will take that job and he won't forget how he was treated the first time. So he'll have no love for those fans because they hated him the first time. And that's when he was coming mm. in with his reputation really high after the job he did at Bolton. Because you forget like Big Sam was this, you know, modernist, you know, brought in. Uh, he was all about um, dietary improvements and sports science long before that was cool. And now he's seen as this, uh, you know, this old man, like this belligerent old man who comes in and fixes things. You know, there's another documentary, the Big Sam Doc. Well, you have the uh, Allardici quote. I think it's actually in the Team 33 intro, as far as I know. Um, I should probably know that the amount of times that I've listened to it. But that, that, it sort of brings us on to the conversation around uh, what Gary Neville was saying on Sky Sports. And instead of butchering what uh, he was actually saying, I actually did some work this week and I got his quotes and, and got the, the audio here. So this is Gary Neville speaking on Monday Night Football that when they were breaking down the United situation. And he's basically saying why he won't criticise Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He should be under massive pressure with the squad that's been assembled and the fact he's been in the job now two and a half, nearly three years. 100%. 100%. But the club are not going to change him. And the club are going to stick with him to the end of the season. My view would be, is not. I agree with Jamie, it's not the right time to discuss it now. I've got Manchester United fans on my social media timeline all the time saying, Gary, he's your mate, you won't call him out. No, I won't. No, I won't. I won't call Steve Keane out or Arsene Wenger at Arsenal. I'm not going to come on this show 11 years later and ask for a manager to be sacked. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. He's a club legend. He's my teammate. I actually like him a lot. And Manchester United have failed with two previous managers who've been world-class. I think they persist to the end of the season. I disagree with Jamie on the fact that if he does win the Europa League in the FA Cup and they finish in the top four, I would say that's still building a successful team. You go up against three of the best teams in the world in Chelsea City and, uh, and Liverpool, by the way, with three of the best managers. So Manchester United changing the manager now doesn't prove anything to me in terms of what could happen. I still think they could struggle against those three teams. But the pressure is building, Dave. 100% is building. It should do. Cavani... Greenwood, Rashford, Martial, Van der Beek, Pogba, Fernandez. What a collection of players. Sancho, they've got to now start to perform and he's got to get them to perform. Yeah, so that was Gary Neville on Monday Night Football. Interesting quotes and I don't want to go too deep into the United conversation and what they should be doing and why Ronaldo's not working for them because we've done that every week so far. But very interesting in terms of sort of what you were saying, Colm, the the pressure that's under a modern day manager these days and even the pressure that's on pundits to, you know, use their platform to, to try get a manager sacked. Like I firmly believe that football works within an echo chamber and the pressure that is on managers doesn't really exist all that much, especially when you're talking like about a manager like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who has had the backing off the board since he got there, has a new contract since the, the start of last year. So, Gary Neville here, there's two ways to look at it. Okay, you're friends with him. You're not going to ask for him to be sacked. But from a pure footballing punditry perspective, this is probably why you shouldn't have ex-players being the main pundit because you're going to run into conflicts of interest like this. 
Do you want me to take that? Yeah, go on, Carl. Yeah. Um, totally, yeah. I mean, Gary Neville's in a difficult position and the Premier and Sky Sports are getting into a difficult position now with uh, pundits being so attached to those involved and the money coming in and they don't want to say anything uh, too controversial. Um, you know, like, for me, like, the the Solskjaer conundrum is uh, is kind of the, the most gradual type of failure in that, like, he'll get you to a certain level, but ultimately, you know, going to win the Premier League and the Champions League, so, but, like, the owners at the same time just won Champions League football. I fought in line with them, the Jamie Carragher point of view way more than Gary Neville, but if the discussion was about Stephen Gerrard's Rangers, I don't know what Carragher would have said. And I guess, um, yeah, that is the conundrum. Like, you know, when the cameras turn off, these guys have to face these people. And, you know, they're just going to spend their whole time apologising otherwise. So it's difficult. Like, I mean, I have a lot of respect for for those who go on who you know have connections and they are incredibly objective with their criticism. And I guess they would be the, probably the closest friendships, really. Um, but, you know, most people aren't that close to the person that they mm. could say whatever they wanted about them. So, it, you know... Gary Neville's probably right to stay on the fence, to be honest, for the sake of his own uh, personal and professional life. But yeah, he got himself into a difficult position there. And I wonder now, will the backlash continue if he continues to talk about United or if United continue to uh, have poor results? But what we've learned in the nearly three years of Solskjaer's reign is that for a series of bad results and you think, you think he's about to go, he wins a few in the bounce. And then the narrative changes to something else. That's something that Gary Neville knows better than most is that narratives change so fast now and it does all go back to social media like you said like Andy Mitten will be on with us regularly and said like match going fans they're nowhere near as vitriolic towards Solskjaer's online fans and I would say Solskjaer is much more attuned to to real life interaction than social media so it's probably you know mentally okay versus what we think he would be um but it is interesting and I wonder what Neville's going to say for the rest of the season about Solskjaer should the results continue to be negative to be fair as well, just to add to that, sorry, Enda, is like he did come out and criticise the style of play that the team is and the performances that the team have put out. So I don't know, you have to go on TV and go as far as calling for someone's head, even if they aren't performing to it. Like some of the some of the quotes from Gary Neville on Monday Night Football were quite strong. So um and also as Colin said, like Andy Mitten had a, a good column um the Athletic this I think it was yesterday morning. He said that even even though the, to, he, he made the point to ignore the, the kind of the clamor on social media to, for all his head, but he also was uh, was keen to point out that even match going fans are getting frustrated to a degree. So, yeah, like I don't I don't know if uh, if pundits are required to go on and actually call for someone to lose their job. And um, I'm not too sure if that's the, the right way to approach things. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with that. I was watching the whole thing and. They did, they did a tactical breakdown of what's going wrong with the United team. It's not as if he was just completely ignoring the question and not answering it. He's just not calling for Ollie to be sacked. And I think that's that's reasonable enough. I mean, it's it's sort of like the, the gladiator mindset where the baying mob want him to do something and he just he just won't do it in, in terms of uh, what they want. And ultimately, I do think the match-going experience, match-going fans, it is a completely different feeling being at the games and being around what's actually happening at the stadium to just watching it on TV. It is two different sort of mindsets to, to what, what goes on. Arthur, where do you, where do you sit on this? Yeah, much the same. Like I don't, um, 
I suppose on the one hand, right, I don't think that there's any chance. I think it's, I think Gary Neville knows. I think most people know at this stage, to be fair, that Solskjaer is not really going to achieve what he set out to achieve, what Man United need him to achieve. I think that's, I don't know if anyone disagrees, first of all, with that. Like, it seems patently obvious at this stage he's not really actually up to the job at hand. Um, and that's fine. He's not as good as his contemporaries. That's fine. He might never be, and who knows. Um, yeah, in terms of stuff like I probably that's more of a reflection, I suppose, on on, on us as football fans and, and wider thing in general. Like, I don't know why, like, <laughs> for as big as I suppose we think the likes of these guys are as pundits, they're... they're they're pundits and it's like it it's just it's a just a TV show, you know. That that's all it is. And it's like the actual I know you, you don't invest too much importance then and well, you know, as if a football club is but it it it's much bigger. It's 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 not like I think all that thing of all that hype. So Gary Neville says X about Solskjaer and then that's the news for a while. But that's nonsense. It's just it's all nonsense, it's all noise. Like it's not you're not telling me for better or worse that any of these guys are paying attention to it. Like it's not gonna have I understand sometimes if things can in certain circumstances, you know, that media outpouring can probably influence things at that higher level. But for something like this, where it's ultimately amounts to, at this stage, opinion, it's not going to influence anything. It, I, I just, yeah, I just, I do think it's noise. I think it's probably one of the most infuriating and off-putting things of sort of modern elite football, to be honest. A lot of this talk yeah. about, like, him talking about people constantly asking him to get social like, Who are these people? Like, it, why do people care so much? Because it just seems to me it's a little bit like that type of thing. It's just very, very, it's very football manager. It's very, very sack next thing, next thing, next thing. Who do we sign next? Where are we getting? Okay, so it's going to be January in two hours. Where are we signing next? Who are we buying? And it's just like, it's like, well, again, without getting too pressured, we were talking about the money at the start. Like these are, they're real people with real lives. And like, yeah, I, I just wouldn't invest too much importance in it. Like for better or worse, I'm not pronouncing Gary Neville whatsoever but I don't think it really matters what he says. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's funny that you say that because I was searching for the quotes before I, I, I got the audio and the Daily Mail, and I mean, we all know what the Daily Mail is like, but their their headline for what Gary Neville said, and I mean, the people listening to the podcast or watching have heard what he said. Now, their headline for it was, uh, Gary Neville admits in full capital letters he will refuse to call out his quote-unquote mate, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, or tip him for the sack after Jamie, Re- Jamie Gar- Carragher accused him and Roy Keane of making excuses for a fellow Man United legend. So it's sort of, it's stories creating stories. It's media creating stories for other media, really. That's that's kind of what it is. And ultimately, I, I do agree with you. I, to an extent, I do think the media definitely has an impact on what happens like in terms of uh, where because if you take it on base value um i i I firmly believe that the media played a role in the ireland situation now in terms of uh there was such a calling out for change that stephen kenny might have uh you know may not have been in the 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 eyes of John Delaney before there was a sort of baying for the forum on social media or in the media as well. Um, and I do think that a large chunk of the Jose Mourinho stuff came from pressure placed on on him by uh, Sky Sports and, and pundits and, and things like that. I, I genuinely do believe it has an effect 
on what's going on because the people making the decisions are human beings who are watching this. The okay. people who are, who are involved, main, like Jose Mourinho Garnett, or Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, whoever, they may not pay attention, but the people on board level may. I would argue they pay less attention. And I would say the that people if you're on board, looking at board that, level. Yeah, if you're looking at that, I would argue that what preceded, how bad had things had to get with Ireland under Martin O'Neill for something truly different to have to happen? So like the outpouring, all I'm saying is that the outpouring didn't come from nothing. The outpouring came from what was angled to be another insufficient response to poor form. And Jose Mourinho got himself sacked because Man United were as bad to watch then as I've ever seen them. They were awful, like so poor. Mm-hmm. And like, so I think like, and if you take something like Van Hal even before that, so Mourinho gets in that job purely because, like again, I open to correction, but purely because for... Ed Woodward, it was a very glamorous appointment and it was one that he would get to stand over more glamorous than Van Hal. But Van Hal, like, I don't, there was no, I don't, people weren't happy, but there was no huge outpouring to take. So I just don't think that the, re, the big revolutionary steps necessarily come off the back of social media or the media. Sometimes, like, the Super League thing's a very interesting uh, experiment with that because I think it probably doesn't fall apart as quickly without all that media intervention. But that was like, that was global. Yeah. But I don't think, I personally, I just don't think, I don't think that these people are so moved by what's said on Sky Sports. I think it's like, it's 24 hour news. Like they, they have so much thing to fit and eventually things move on. Like, I, I don't know, personally, I just don't think it's as that big. I think we kind of, we're prone to, to blowing it out of all proportion. Yeah, that's, that's fair. That's a fair point. Um, uh, I would disagree with your Van Hal point. I stopped watching United under Van Hal. Uh, because it was so bad, I think. Uh, yeah, Jose was, was, oh yeah, oh, of course, <laughs> it was. of course, it was. yeah, yeah. Well, that was that was Man. more like you know, it's uh, watching Celtic under Neil Lennon in the last uh, year was like a car crash. It was like you know, you don't want to look, but you have to look anyway. <laughs> you hate watched it. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. That is well where where we'll park the uh, punditry uh, chat. We do want to take a quick break now, though, because we're going to be chatting about the situation with uh, Bows and Rovers and the ticket allocation situation up next agent. Team 33. This is OTB Sports Radio. Now you're welcome back to Team 33. End a call here with you in the company of Colin Bowie, Rui Carberry and Arthur O'Dea. Uh, before the break, we were chatting about uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Gary Neville and sort of the, the punditry situation and uh, Steve Bruce as well. If you want to get that, you can get it in the uh, podcast, which will be available on the O2B podcast network in the O2B Sports app which you can download on your App Store or Google Play Store. Now it has all the off-the-ball stuff, has all the articles, all the videos, and all the podcasts as well, which you can subscribe to there. We want to talk about the Bows and Rovers situation because there was a Dublin Derby during the week. It uh, was quite a feisty one. There was a red card. It was a joke of a red card. You'll have to admit that. But uh, two teams really going at it, and the Dublin Derby has been one of the bright sparks of the League of Ireland over the last uh, number of years especially since Keith Long has been in charge of uh, of Bowes because it really has become a proper rivalry once again and the situation with the fans is an interesting one Bowes re- released a statement uh, during the week that they're not going to give an allocation to um, to Rovers for the, the next Dublin Derby this comes in the back of uh, Rovers not giving away fans allocations not specifically Bowes but away fans in general an uh, allocation for their game. So uh, Dan McDonald was speaking on the football show during the week and he sort of explained the situation that led to this and why 
there is such a tension between the two clubs at the minute. Dan, relations between Bohemians and Shamrock Rovers are interesting. Not, not great, not great. So <laughs> I was, I was in. I mean, they never wouldn't traditionally have been great, but um, I was at the game last night in Tala. Um, and to be honest, the season is sort of drifting away. That Rovers have the league pretty much wrapped up, and you know the, the Bowes games are good, but there's not a huge amount happening with the league in a way. It's like Rovers are going to win the league. There's a very interesting race for Europe, um, but this sort of the relations between the clubs are not great right now. And one of the aspects of the game last night was that there was no away fans there in the ground, which you do miss from the derby. Like a derby is about two sets of fans, not one. Um, and without going down the road of Whataboutry, there has been situations in recent weeks in the League of Ireland where clubs citing restricted attendances have said, we're not letting away fans in because we want more of our fans to be there, which is fine. But what we've had subsequently tonight is um, Bowes release a statement saying they were very disappointed not to have fans at the game last night, pointing out that Tala is a big stadium, there's room for them there. And they've said, next month, uh, Rovers are, are coming to Daily Mount. None of your fans are coming to the game. It's a bit petty. And yeah, and there's been instances around the games. Rovers very unhappy with the treatment of players and officials at Bowes. I think you'll hear stories from the other side. It's got pretty like it's always been nasty, but I don't think sometimes like you'll have rivalries and it's between the fan bases, but the you know the club officials will always get on quite well. Like even Celtic Rangers, they'd share sponsors and they'd almost play the game and work together. You see the Premier League clubs, you know. You know, officials will work together at a certain level. Mm. But Bowes Rovers, I think it's almost. The, I'd say that the the rivalry in the boardroom is probably stronger than it is on the pitch, almost. Right, okay. In some ways, you know, some of the players will get on quite well, but uh, not the officials. Okay, so, um, we'll watch that space and see if that yeah. decision is reversed. Yeah, so that was Dan McDonald on the uh, football show on Tuesday night, explaining what's going on in the Dublin Derby, Rury. This is uh, very similar to what's going on at uh, Celtic and Rangers over the last couple of years. Um, you know, again, you have the what aboutery. Celtic fans say Rangers started it. Rangers fans say Celtic started it. Ultimately, it came from the boards of uh, one of the clubs. But I think, I, I don't know if you agree with me, but I, I think the, the Glasgow Derby has suffered as a consequence of this because Celtic go to a full Ibrox full of Rangers fans. Rangers go to a full Celtic Park of Celtic fans. And there's no there's no sort of balance between it and I know there's obviously crowd issues and all that there comes into it but derbies are supposed to be between two sets of fans two sets of clubs and I think that the derbies do suffer if you have one-sided uh, games at home No, I'd 100% agree and obviously the parallel you've drawn is with the Glasgow derby and like I don't think anyone really would argue that the, the quality of the atmosphere in them games was dipped hugely even when it went to it went to 800 away away spars in each ground and you couldn't you can't say that the, the same bite or the same needle in the game is there which is kind of what derbies are all about so like you'd be interested to see what this spirals into like i when we were when i was putting together some thoughts before uh, jumping on air like obviously there was no away spars at uh, the fai cup game was that a 50 percent capacity at that time a month ago as well would have been i think yeah okay so like like obviously there's there's going to be 100 percent going forward so you'd work you'd, you'd you'd be interested to see where this spirals into because as we've seen in other situations there has been examples of derbies where it goes three or four years and now it sort of seems like i don't think i don't know what you think about the glasgow derby in, in general but i don't think that there's going to be a resolution to that where it goes back to six thousand away so far as for for a while anyway it doesn't seem like that's budging so like 
in terms of Bowls and Rovers, it's one of the biggest selling points for that the League of Ireland have had, and they they genuinely are entertaining games. Whether you are somebody who goes to Daily Mount or to Tala every week, or somebody who's just going to turn on, you know, casual, casually puts on a League of Ireland game, it's the biggest sell, seller of the the product of Irish club football, domestic football. So you'd be hopeful that in the coming, you know, months or years, a both clubs just wiser heads prevail because they are. As you said, like they're they're very entertaining games, and you know you don't want to lose that with with the League of Ireland where it is now at the moment. Yeah, oh yeah, I don't I don't think the Celtic thing is going to be solved anytime soon, given that BBC have still been banned from Ibrox and Neil Lennon and Chris Sutton can't go there for for fear of safety apparently. So there's there's a lot going on in the Glasgow derby that's quite above what's happening in the Dublin derby at the minute, but hopefully it doesn't escalate to that point. This, you know, the the thing about it is, you know, rival fans are obviously going to cause uh, some bit of hassle. And, you know, there is nastiness that goes on as well that doesn't re- necessarily belong in the game. Like what happened to Danny Mandrew last time um, in, in the Dublin Derby and, and things like that going on within the, like the general nastiness that comes with rivalries in general. But... Column, as somebody who, you know, is an onlooker in the for the League of Ireland, if you're selling the Dublin Derby as the biggest game of the year, which it it kind of is, you know, with Rovers sort of being the dominant side going for the league, it's hard to sell this when it's just one set of fans in one stadium. Yeah, I mean, I'm in a WhatsApp group here with um, three massive Cork City fans and. Like the the group is dominated by League of Ireland talk, and most of it is frustration about how the league isn't growing to what it should be, and there isn't the domestic interest that there should be, and more, like a lot of people look abroad for their football. Um, so you're looking and you're thinking this is madness. Like you, like the this league needs as many fans as possible. Why are they doing this? But then at the other side, I'm thinking like this could you know if they play their cards right here, marketing wise, Bowls and Rovers, this could be uh, Bryson against Brooks in golf. You know, this could keep them going. And then you're talking about it like, are they going to allow the away fans next season? Are they going to allow the away fans next season? And then if the war of words continue, then, you, uh, then you're then you like grabbing people's interest in being like, oh, this has gone beyond just being a bit Tom Petty. Like, this is really uh, a real like rivalry with substance there, which we always knew there was, but they're really trying to hit the other where it hurts. And also, you know, Rovers are like 13 points clear, is it? And Bowles play some of the better football in the league. So they have the talent there. And now if they add to the narrative, then you actually are getting more people interested. And it's terrible to say that. It, like The interest should be there anyway. But from, as you say, from my perspective as an onlooker, uh, I'm quite interested in this, uh, this, this these news coming out. You know, it's like, well, where is this going to end? Is this going to be a one-off now? You know, you didn't allow us there on Monday night, so we're not going to allow you on 12th November and then, like you know, next season now uh, we'll put it, we'll put an end to that. But if they play it right, like they can continue this, people very interested. And then suddenly it's trending online, and that's the way you have to look at it, unfortunately, to get people interested. That's where I would stand with it, anyway. Spoken like a true digital ma- ma- manager. <laughs> well, um, I know you have to. Uh, I know you have to run, yeah, so I, I will let you go. Thanks for that. Nice Take it easy. Arthur, final thoughts, I guess, on on this. It's, is it is it is it petty? Is it petty? Because yeah. I'm not sure it's petty. <laughs> I think it's a bit pathetic, to be honest. I, I think it's okay. 
I, it's very interesting what Dan sort of said. And again, I mean, I think I doubt there's fewer people in the country better equipped to talk about it than him. Um, that he mentioned the that almost the strength of this is coming from a board level, and that that are certainly the upper echelons of the thing. So I say it's not necessarily fan motivated. It's not player motivated. That it's kind of almost organizationally motivated. It's very interesting. Like you don't want to mischaracterize. I, I don't. I don't know. Like it, again, it's sort of. I suppose I don't really think anything when I think of Shamrock Rovers. Like I don't. I, you know, they're kind of. They seem very well organized. They have a lot of money there. Fine. Um, and then you have obviously Bose who have a, a sort of again I don't want to mischaracterize them but a sort of a superiority feeling about themselves that it quite um, it just seems quite an odd thing to do it seems like quite an odd small minded thing to do surely the way to do it would be like if you go in the reverse and you go well look we'll uh, we'll do this your way around you didn't let any of ours in we'll let whatever twice as many of yours in what you know what I mean I just I mean it just seems like an oddly it's like just two negatives. There's not, there's not going to get anything out of this. Like it's just pointless. I don't know. It's very odd from them because they generally like. And again, um, you know, I, they love to tell you how all the positive things and fair play to them. It's a very funny situation where you bear them no ill will because they do an awful lot of things extremely well and right and the way you'd like to see them done. But perhaps the amount of time they'll spend telling you about it can be a bit gnawing at times. That it is quite strange that they've gone down this route where I think it's just. It's just a, a poor decision, I think. It's just kind of, who's losing out, really? It's like Shamrock Rovers yeah. fans and Bohemians fans, because as you're saying, like the whole thing is for fans to be there and enjoy it. And, you know, as long as things don't get out of hand, to go against one another and enjoy that within the course of 90 minutes. But now none of them get that. I just think, yeah, that's, that just seems to be who the losers are in this for me. And the players then to another degree, because again, you want to play in the kind of matches you were talking about, like, What's funny is that you have absolutely murdered Shamrock Rovers and Bose at the no, same no. time with, with what you're saying. Well, everyone knows it's like, the I, I, can't, I, I can't think of uh, I can't think of something that Shamrock Rovers fans would hate more than being called essentially oh, I don't really care too much about them, and then Bohemians fans thinking uh, they have a superiority complex. Uh, that that was uh, yeah. I I largely agree. I largely agree. I do think it's it, it is interesting that it's it's happening at uh, an Irish level. But I, yeah, especially in a stadium like Tala, like Tala is the perfect stadium where you can keep the fans segregated to their own sections as well. And there, it's not as if they're losing out on space. I mean, yeah, it's a massive stadium that they're going to uh, they're going to fill if they have uh, Bose fans there as well. So. It is one to keep an eye on over the next couple of weeks, but yeah, Northwest Derby is where it's at. Is uh, <laughs> is the Northwest Derby? Is that uh, for you? That's Sligo against Finn Harps because that's also Derry against Finn Harps. Yeah, again, I don't, like, does it go I the other way? Should... Does Derry, does Derry and Sligo have a rivalry? Is that a thing, or is it? To be fair, like again, from my and again, it's only kind of a growing interest, but it is funny. The, the greatest animosity they've ever seen from Sligo Rovers fans towards anyone is through Shamrock Rovers fans. <laughs> for whatever reason I'm not sure where that springs from whether it's purely competitive but that's yeah I think I think that comes now I could be wrong somebody could correct me but I think that comes from the uh, Paul Cook era where Sligo yeah. were finding out with uh, Rovers for the, the league title I, I think I think that could be right but I, I, I'm open to correction on that one anyway that is uh, that is all we have time for on this week's Team 33 Arthur and Rory Rory top notch job on your debut fair play to you uh, thanks for coming on today. Cheers. Thanks very much.
that is where we leave you tonight on Team 33. Thanks to you, as ever, for listening. Thanks to the lads for coming on. Some exciting news for Team 33 next week. There will be a change to the show happening. That's to come from next week on, so stay tuned for that. If you want to listen back to that show or any other previous Team 33 shows, then you can get us in the usual places. On the O2B Sports app is the best place, though. That's where you can subscribe to the podcast and get notified every time an episode goes live. Okay, that is us on the show this evening. Ewa, Slangofoil, take away your one. <laughs>